Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 135 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Healing with Laughter, an interview with Kristen Annos. My name is Richard Johansson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So now I've been studying the famous book, Anatomy of an Illness as Perceived by the Patient by Norman Cousins. And I was wondering whether or not this concept of healing with laughter would apply to the Lyme disease community. And when we located Kristen Anos, we found the manifestation of someone who is in fact healing with laughter. Rich, Krista taught us so much about Lyme disease. She treated at the Sierra Integrative Medical Center and used hyperthermia, which we're used to in hearing this about people who go to clinics in Georgia and Germany, but she treated with hyperthermia a little bit differently. She had 20 medically induced homeopathic fevers to get her temperature to around 103 degrees to kill off the Lyme bacteria. She also really focused on killing off the parasites that were keeping her sick in addition to her chronic Lyme disease. There was so much we talked about on this interview and so many different treatment protocols that have helped Krista get to where she is today. Matt, I'm really excited to introduce this brilliant comedic actress to the Tick Bootcamp community. Hi, Krista Anderson. and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> so good to be here. Right, we're so happy to have you and I'm glad we're already laughing because we know this is going to be a funny podcast. We have a <laughs> of, your, uh, of your talent. So so talk to us or share with our audience uh, what you're currently doing. I am healing from Lyme disease and currently fighting parasites. <laughs> and yeah. uh, before we get into too much of the parasitic battle that you're, uh, you're facing, talk to us about what you're doing professionally. I, I understand that you've written a great deal during our pandemic, in addition to battling the uh, the parasites and the other things that you're dealing with. I understand you've been doing a great deal of writing. So talk to us about your professional pursuits. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm an actor, but uh, yeah, especially during quarantine times, I've been writing a bunch. I already had written before, but now I'm really just plowing through. I've written about four screenplays. I'm on my fifth. I've written two comedy pilots, um, loving it, uh, hoping to make money from that one day. <laughs> but right. I'm also writing a book about Lyme and making a documentary about my journey with Lyme disease this year. Um, so this year has really been healing and also trying to stay as creative as possible. And the biggest platform that makes the most sense for me right now is writing because I can do it from home. So Chris, where'd you grow up? Uh, outside Philadelphia. And Philadelphia, of course, uh, is in Pennsylvania, which is actually, I think, currently uh, the most endemic, uh, tick endemic state in uh, the U.S. So congratulations. You come from number one. Uh, you've, you've passed New York uh, in that <laughs> distinction. So uh, it's something I'm glad, to, uh, glad you've beaten us with. Uh, <laughs> so as a child in Pennsylvania, um, what did you know about ticks and tick diseases? I did not know anything. Um, <laughs> I sing talk <laughs> a lot. Uh, yeah, I really didn't know um, anything about Lyme disease. Ticks were a thing. I was bit by ticks. My dogs had ticks, but I didn't know that being bit from a tick could have catastrophic um, you know, effects later on in your life. I have no idea. So you were tick aware, uh, mm -hmm. and, and what did that mean? Were you, were you trained on how to look for ticks, how to check yourself for ticks, how to remove so ticks, what did it mean? I'm pretty sure this is the tick that gave me Lyme disease too. 
I don't remember how old I was. I was a child, probably between eight and 10, but I was bit by the tick and I couldn't get it out of my body. It was, I don't remember where it was on my body, either, either my leg or my arm somewhere, but I went to the bathroom and I found the tick and I couldn't, I was trying to scrape it out. I ended up going up and stealing my dad's tweezers and like hours later, I got half of it out and then I finally got the rest out. I didn't even tell my parents. I remember asking someone, probably my next door neighbors, being like, can you die from being bitten by a tick? And they were like, no. And I was like, great, that was that. <laughs> so your childhood experience was, or I guess your, your childhood education didn't even lead you to believe that you had to share with your parents that you were bitten by a tick. It was something you dealt with on your own and- uh, and. Yep, if I wasn't gonna die, why tell them? Right. <laughs> In hindsight, what was I thinking? But- Well, of course. So now, and you said your, your dad uh, is a uh, military man. Um, do you know if he knew anything about ticks and tick diseases and did yeah. he convey any of that to you? No, they both did. We've talked about this a lot now. Um, I'm sure they're super angry that I didn't tell them about the tick at the time. Um, but my neighbor, one of them, I didn't realize this at the time either, but she got Lyme disease. She had a big bullseye rash, took the antibiotics and is fine. My dad, same thing, got Lyme even maybe a couple of years ago, had a big bullseye rash and is fine. So they they knew, they were aware. I don't think anyone... Um, I grew up in the 90s. I don't think anyone was super, super like, oh, Lyme disease is horrific. It wasn't something like it was known, at least my parents knew, like we know what Lyme disease is, but you can take antibiotics and be fine from it. No one knew about chronic Lyme. So now your parents were tick aware. Was part of your childhood doing tick checks, meaning after you're outside, they say, hey, Krista, make sure you do a tick check. Hey, Krista, when you go in the bath or the shower, make sure you do a tick check. Was that a you know, part of your, your experience? We did it for my dog, for sure. Um, they probably told me to do that, but it wasn't something that registered in my mind as like, this is a big no-no. And even if you found a tick, it was like, meh, it's fine. Okay. Mm -hmm. So is, is any part of your current self-care experience doing tick checks? Do you do tick checks every day now? Has that, is that something that's been built into your self-care and your no, and it should be. <laughs> so, it, so it certainly wasn't a part of your childhood either, either because of the way your parents taught you to groom or through health courses or anything like that, where it's, where it's now become a part of your, your, uh, if your I go hiking, or so, yeah. And like my friends are very aware of it now too. Um, and I need to keep, you know, trying to check my dog and she's black, so it's much harder. Um, but I think also right now is we're pretty much all staying home. Uh, so I don't feel like there's a huge desire to, but I think as we're going out and about and more hikes and just being outside, yeah, it's definitely on my mind, especially as I'm healing from this terrible tick-borne illness. Um, but it's not something that I want to be, um, what would it be like super ang anxious about a lot of people, especially with Lyme, you know, are going to go on hikes and completely cover up head to toe, which is great. I don't want to do that. It's really hot outside. I want to be able to wear a tank top and, and then check for a tick later. 
Right. So, so because look, there there are a lot of people who have Lyme disease who are not going out at all. Right. Uh, so I, you know, I, I I agree with you that there are a lot of folks who who may be may be dressing differently than they would and maybe than they should. Uh, but I think the the bigger challenge is I think most people are not going out at all. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a real, uh, real sad element. Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 we can talk more about some of the things that can be done later. So let's again stay with your childhood. So. What was your childhood like after that tick bite? Uh, and what kinds of things were you pursuing? Meaning, did you always want to be an actress? Was that something that you always coveted to do? I was just, a, you know, wild performing everything. I was a wild child, um, constantly putting on talent shows, singing my heart out. Um, I was a big, big entertainer. And it's not until this year that I look back and realize, oh, wow those were symptoms of Lyme disease that I had. I grew up, I had a lot of insomnia as a child. Um, I was delayed in learning. I, I couldn't read for a long time and words, you know, just, I didn't understand how to spell very well. Um, I can't attribute everything, everything to Lyme disease. I kind of want to be like, all of that was Lyme. And it probably wasn't, but I think some of it was. Um, and then growing up, middle school, high school, I played a lot of sports. I had terrible, terrible knee pain and back issues that I should not have been having for being my age. And I was seeing a lot of doctors for these things and it just didn't make sense. And I look back and I'm like, no, I didn't have these injuries. Like it was Lyme all along. But it wasn't until I turned 19 and I took this trip that we'll talk about that, you know, my symptoms were for the most part dormant and then, you know, flared up. So talk to us about how your Lyme symptoms that you've now identified as Lyme symptoms impacted your early efforts to develop your acting skills and how it impacted your, your athletic pursuits. Can you rephrase? Yeah. <laughs> So, so you, you said looking back, you you know that you're you're you had a lot of symptoms of your of your chronic Lyme disease that you didn't identify as at that time as symptoms of Lyme disease. How is mm -hmm. that impacting your ability to perform in your in your various acting pursuits during your childhood? Yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing stopped me. Um, you know, the one thing that's really strange about me and being as an actor, I can't produce tears, which I don't know 100% if that's related to Lyme or not, but I can produce like maybe one tear out of my left eye, none out of my right. That was always strange as a child. Um, but I think I did a lot of improv comedy the last couple years being in LA. And now that I have Lyme, like I, I've noticed looking back that I'm a smart person, I'm, I'm quick and I'm witty, especially when writing, but sometimes when performing and being put on the spot, like my brain couldn't process. And I say words that I, I mean to be something else, but they sound similar. Like my big, bi biggest example would be, I'll say I am ravishing, but I mean to say I'm ravenous. And in my mind, that's what I'm saying, but it comes out completely wrong. And that happened a lot to me in improv comedy, which, you know, we just made jokes about it. <laughs> so it was fine. Um, but I think that, that, was, that was really hard. Otherwise, you know, I had been on set 
a bunch feeling super sick. I just, I didn't let things stop me. I kept going. I knew I was sick with something at least from 19 on until 29 and 30 now. But I, yeah, I just kept going. None of my symptoms, you know, the insomnia was terrible. I was nauseous for maybe 14 months straight, but I still wanted to be on set. I still wanted to be an actor. So I plowed through as best I could. So let's talk about your experience when you were 19. What happened at 19 that changed things? I went to Guatemala with my, with my uh, church mission group from church, <laughs> my church mission group from church, from my college uh, church group. And I went cliff jumping. This is what I think happened. I went cliff jumping. We ate really clean, but I jumped and the water went straight up my nose. My thoughts are I probably got a parasite because I came back from Guatemala and I was super, super, super sick. Like I've never been the same since that Guatemalan trip. And I think if I got a parasite, I think it stirred up Lyme. I think my Lyme was dormant from when I was a child. Um, and, you know, either traveling there or I think something happened there that everything got um, stirred up. Now I went and I saw the head of infectious diseases, you know, at Penn Medicine, he laughed and he sent me away with my mom. And... Then I went and saw, yeah, 20 other probably specialists over the last 11 years. Had No one could find anything, but it was that trip, that time where it just, everything flared. Yeah, so one of the people we've interviewed a couple of times is Dr. Bill Rawls, and he has this metaphor that he calls the pot boiling over theory. And he said that in most cases, what happens with people who suffer from chronic Lyme disease is that their immune system is managing the bacteria and the viruses and all of the other um, all of the other bugs that we have in our body, and then some immune disrupting event occurs and mm -hmm. it boils over and it becomes chronic. So yeah. it could have been it could have been the flight itself. Uh, Dr. Ross talks a lot about air travel and the impact that it has on on pilots and stewardesses, for example, um, mm -hmm. and stewards. Uh, because of the of the uh, of the impact that the flight has on their immune system, or it could have been a parasite, which then, again, boiled over. So it it, it could have been a number of different things, but you you clearly had an immune disrupting event yeah. when you were 19, and you now became chronically ill. So talk to us about what the chronic illness looked like when you got back from Guatemala. Oh gosh, um, a lot of GI issues. Nausea was my primary. Thing. I was nauseous all the time. Um, anytime I ate, I definitely had extreme fatigue. I was a horseback rider at the time too. I was a competitive equestrian growing up. And I remember being at a horse show and I competed over pretty high fences around four feet high. Um, I remember being at this horse show and just feeling like I had no energy. I had a bad fall at horse show too. Um, probably shouldn't have kept riding, but you know, I didn't know anything was wrong with me. I had this intense back pain too, in the middle of my back. People would give me a massage and they'd be like, your back is a solid rock. And I'm like, I don't know what is going on, but that, and yet mainly I think the nausea. So I thought, okay, maybe this is like celiac, right? And, that, and we didn't know what celiac was 
it wasn't a big thing back then. Gluten-free 11 years ago wasn't a fad, but I felt like, okay, it's something I'm eating. I saw a nutritionist. I saw all these doctors. I couldn't figure out. So I'm like, okay, I'm self-diagnosing myself with celiac disease. And I started feeling a lot better. So I cut out a lot of foods, but then it kept coming back. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm dairy-free. I'm allergic to milk, no milk. Started feeling a lot better. And then it would come back. And then about maybe two years ago, I, everything made me sick. Every single thing I ate, didn't matter what it was, a handful of almonds. Like I was living off of nothing. I lost a lot of weight and we thought, okay, someone had told me like, this is candida. I did muscle testing. I'm like, oh great. I have an answer. It's candida. Got super, super, super sick, really thin. Everything I ate made me sick. Didn't get better. It wasn't the candida. Oh, I have SIBO, SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Like that makes so much sense. Yes, yes, yes. Fought that, didn't get better, you know? And I saw so many Western doctors, so many Eastern doctors, because I'm like, here's the thing. I've been sick for so long. And that one year of about 14 months straight of nausea, seeing my friends get pregnant, have babies, not be sick anymore. I'm like, where's my child? been nine months you get a baby out of this I don't get nothing you know maybe a good <laughs> um, but yeah I was like I am I am so done I am so done and I had to just constantly keep fighting for myself and then oh, so, finally figured out slime so let's let's talk about your college experience again now so you're 19 your 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 college church group goes to Guatemala where were you going to college and what was your major at that time um, I went to Denison University in Ohio, was majoring in theater, minoring in opera. I was a singer as well. Um, what was the other part of that question? And, and how, how did now your chronic illness impact your okay. studies and the pursuit of your theatrical um, endeavors? Well, I was, yeah, super, super sick sophomore year. Um, and I like, I, I went to... Uh, I went to the ER. I mean, I've been to so many hospitals, so many different trips. And I joke about it with my friends. We went <laughs> to my best guy friends in college, um, took me to the ER to get an X-ray of my organs or CT, CT scans, something to see if something was like flipping was the latest theory. Like, oh, when you get sick, one of your organs is like twisting. Let's see if we can like capture it on camera. I was like, what? Some doctor told me. I'm like, okay, I'm really sick. We're going. I go, I do the scan. I get immediately like ill. I had like a lot of diarrhea afterwards. And then the scan came back and I was throwing up too. I was like super sick. The scan came back. The doctor was like, you're just constipated. And I'm like, hmm. I'm not, I just had diarrhea in your toilet. He's like, doesn't matter. And he pulled up <laughs> the, the x-ray, put it on the wall for my two best guy friends who were really cute as well. <laughs> and he's like, let me show you how full of shit you actually are. And he put his finger all the way up. I feel like to my mouth, I feel like he was like, you're full of so much poop. Also, his name was Dr. Jolly Bumsworth. <laughs> like, like my friends and I, I thought we were going to get kicked out of the hospital for laughing so hard. And so I had to sit there and they kept feeding me or giving me laxatives and I kept throwing it up. And they're like, you can't leave here until you poop. So my guy friends were like, have you, like, do you have to go poop yet? I'm like, no, I had diarrhea 30 minutes ago. Maybe at that time it had been three hours ago now at the ER, you know, 
but that was like sophomore year constantly like being sick and then doctors telling me like you're constipated or like it's all in your head i saw my therapist at college i was losing a lot of weight i couldn't eat everything made me sick she's like you know are you sure you're not just like body conscious I'm like, I can't explain to you enough. Like everything I eat makes me sick. I would love to devour pizza and ice cream like a normal college student for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I can't, something is wrong. So I also was in a sorority. I had to stop partying. Like it was strange though. This happened a couple of years ago too. Alcohol, especially tequila, would sometimes just soothe my symptoms. Like, I don't want people listening to that and being like, okay, I'm just gonna go pop a shot. <laughs> tequila here and there is definitely not a cure but something about the alcohol my intestines were always so inflamed that it just calmed it down so i did i was partying but uh, you, you think it may have been the worm uh working things out with uh your parasites <laughs> maybe to, something about tequila is like mm. yep 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 but uh i went through phases of like couldn't party at all uh, in college, like a lot of my friends didn't get it. Um, I, I wasn't the same girl I was freshman year of college. Sometimes I would, yeah, I would party just be like, fuck it. I don't know if you can say that on this podcast. Um, yeah. yeah, I was like, fuck it. I don't want to be sick anymore. I'm just going to drink. And I'm not going to feel anything. And the other times I'm like, I can't go to that frat party. Like, I do not want to get dressed up. I do not feel good. I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping. Um, so yeah, sophomore year was rough, but I kept plowing through because no doctor could give me an answer. How were you doing with the development of your acting skills and your operatic skills, if that's a proper term? And yeah. were, were you having challenges yep. Um, yep. with your memory, with uh, developing and refining your skills mm -hmm. for, your, uh, for your future career? For the most part, uh, the memory stuff has been okay. I don't know, for whatever reason, I've been able to manage. And I think with learning, um, I've realized this too, looking back, I'm a really good crammer uh, when it comes to like studying stuff and I can't recall anything. I have a hard time thinking back on what I've learned in high school, and I hope it's, I can attribute this to Lyme, I am, but I can think back and I'm like, you know, I, I really can't remember these basic things that I learned. And I was an A student. You know, you'd think I'd have an easier time with certain things, but the memory stuff, that's where I get it. That's where I get the brain, I don't know if it's brain fog um, or what, but in the moment, for the most part, I can, memorize and be okay when it comes to acting but if i were to, like i can't always recall a monologue that i did a couple years ago which a lot of actors you should be able to or they can and i can't always um but in terms of my singing my voice has definitely been affected by lime and i had these weird breaks in my voice and uh, as an opera singer, I was finding these different paths for my voice to go, but it was not always healthy. And my singing teachers couldn't understand what I was trying to talk. And I didn't know I had, you know, Lyme. I didn't know I was sick, but my voice was definitely struggling. And I didn't understand why it wasn't the same as it was before. Um, 
and then it would be fine. And then I had a couple of years where I was great. And then a couple of years ago, weird breaks, weird cracks that I, you know, even just singing in the car to whatever pop songs on the radio, nothing opera, nothing really hard. And I'd have a big crack in my voice and it would just go. My voice just would not be there anymore. And I would tell my voice teacher, I'm like, something's up. And she's like, you know, you don't sound like you have any voice issues. It doesn't sound like you have nodules or anything. And I was like, I can't explain it. It's just sometimes my voice is not there anymore. And it's definitely made me more nervous to perform live as a singer than I was before. And it's, and it's, it stinks. I hope that it can be completely healed and come back, but it's definitely on my mind quite a lot. So your life's journey takes you from Pennsylvania to Ohio, where you went to college. When you graduated from college, what did you do? Um, I went home with all my college stuff and my parents. And a couple weeks later, I was saying goodbye to my horse who got spooked, jumped, stepped on me, landed on my foot. He's 2000 pounds, ended up in the ER that night. They were like, you definitely broke your foot. Turns out I didn't, I don't know how, but it was like gushing blood and black and blue. The next day I drove to Los Angeles. All right. <laughs> so, my, life. my parents so, like, you're not going on crutches. And I'm like, I'm going to LA on crutches. I road tripped. And now so I'm why LA? Why does your life's journey take you uh, after going home and saying goodbye to your horse and your family? Why did why did your life's journey take you to uh, Los Angeles? For the acting business. That's why I'm here to be an entertainer. <laughs> so talk to us about um, the twists and turns of your professional career after uh, limping to LA. <laughs> Gosh. Oh man, Rich, that's that's a can of worms. I got it. And we could talk forever. I got to really shorten that. Let's see. Got here. This 22 year old first job was a party princess. I dressed up as princesses and I entertained celebrities, kids. One of my first parties was like Ben Affleck and Chris O'Donnell. And here I am dressed as Jasmine. And I at the time had like long blonde hair. And I was like, not at all ethnic enough to be Jasmine um, doing like balloon animals and a magic show. I had new one magic trick. Oh, it was just, an, you know, a wild time. I did that for a couple of years. Um, let's see. I've been a personal assistant uh, for a couple of years. Oh, my copy woke up. Like, like uh, Kim Kardashian. Uh, Yes, but no sex tape over here. <laughs> um, but yeah, first just a poop tape. <laughs> I, yeah, I have the colonics. Oh God! Um, if I became famous for yeah poop, I mean that would be a story of my life. I feel like for sure ever since Dr. Jolly Bums were. <laughs> but um, I did a lot of improv comedy out here. It was my main my main thing: writing and acting, doing that creating my own content, a lot of YouTube parody videos. I had, I have three pop songs out on iTunes that I wrote and I perform, you know, I had, you can, you can buy them. <laughs> um, and yeah, and now, you know, I acted a bunch. I did the whole web series I wrote and started in called Super Single. It's a musical comedy. And now I'm primarily writing. Yeah, writing. Krista, so, talk to us about how your chronic illness impacted the various zigs and zags that you had taken during the course of your time as an actor in Los Angeles. I think the hardest time um, 
so the thing with my, you know, Lyme and my illnesses too, um, is that my symptoms came and went over the years. They never fully left, but they would change. I, for a year, I had extreme fatigue. And like my family would make fun of me because I'd be like, I'm fatigued. And they'd be like, you're so fatigued. And I'm like, something, uh, yeah, something's wrong. And they're like, you're just tired. And I'm like, I'm really fatigued. And so it would be like a running gag with us. Little did I know it was actually a symptom of Lyme, you know, or parasitic. Yeah. yeah. But I was like super tired. Actually, that hit me in college. I think I was a sophomore year. Uh, I was driving with my roommates home on a break to one of their houses in Ohio and I fell asleep at the wheel. I was so fatigued. They screamed. I woke up. It, we were fine, but I was so like, I shouldn't have been driving, but I didn't understand what was going on. I had some like coffee or a Coke or something with me and I kept going, but yeah, being out here in LA the past eight years, my symptoms constantly were like changing. Sometimes I had overactive bladder syndrome really bad like just peeing, peeing constantly or IBS um, or the fatigue. And then it was, you know, the 14 months straight of nausea. Like that was debilitating. And that was the hardest time. That was when I was filming super single and I couldn't eat anything. And I just felt extremely, extremely ill. And no one knew. No one knew my hair was falling out. My hair was breaking off and falling out. I also was dying in a lot of colors. I was platinum blonde. I was red, you know, it doesn't help, but it just wasn't at the core. It wasn't healthy. Um, so that was my hardest time. I think those, that was about three years ago. I was probably at one of my worst. Um, I really, I couldn't eat. I really could. It was very hard to function and I was running this show, you know, and I had to keep going and I did. So, Chris, you have this 11-year journey where you're constantly sick, and I'm assuming you're going to a lot of doctors. How many different doctors did you see in that 11-year window between the doctors you saw in Philadelphia, the doctors you saw in Ohio, and the doctors you've seen in California? Over 20 specialists. Yeah. So now, you grew up in a tick endemic community, mm -hmm. were bitten by a tick at least once, probably many more times, but uh, mm -hmm. at least once. Any time during the course of this 11-year journey before your final diagnosis last year, did anybody even mention the possibility of Lyme despite all of the classic Lyme symptoms you were exhibiting? Nope. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. So frustrating, so frustrating, yeah. So, so what type of diagnosis were you given during these 11 years? 20 doctors in three states. Yeah, I mean, it's all in your head was a big one, which is super frustrating. Or it's like, you know, something to go, go along with my period. <laughs> um, that happened a lot. I feel like those were the answers a lot when I was just starting out at 19. Um, I had an endoscopy. You know, I mean, we saw some big doctors. My parents, they, my parents believed me. Um, but these doctors kept coming back saying, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with you. Out here, I remember going to a cardiologist. I had all these chest pains, heart palpitations and things. He laughed. I have a, a history of going to a doctor or the emergency room and being laughed at and being taken out of the office. We don't believe you. You're too young to have these symptoms. You are healthy. You are healthy. It's in your head. So 
when you were getting these um, these psychological or psychiatric diagnoses from the doctors, did that cause you to doubt yourself? Did you ever doubt whether you were not, whether you were in fact physically sick? No, I never doubt. I, I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what, and I didn't know how severe it was. I did think sometimes maybe it is just a bad, something with my period or something, um, you know, which doctors will just say for a, a woman. You said that your parents believed you, which was an absolute blessing because in so many of our past podcast interviews, we've had folks tell us that their parents and other intimate people did not believe them. Do you think there was ever a time when the doctors are saying there's nothing wrong with you that your parents began to doubt whether or not you were physically ill? I think so. I think it's, it's hard when you are constantly being told by anyone um, that it's in your head or, you know, we don't believe you to not doubt. Um, you know, I wouldn't blame them if they, if they did. I mean, I kept saying, okay, it's self-diagnosed, um, you know, celiac. I'm super, super allergic to foods. Like I have to be super, super careful or I got sick because that must've been contaminated. They must not have, you know, um, cooked that separately is what I would constantly say. Um, you know, I come from a big Greek family though and no one had food intolerances. It's still very difficult if I go home for Christmas. I'm the only weird ones. And my Greek cousins on that side, you know, love to make fun of me. Like, oh, is there gluten in, you know, turkey? Can you eat this? And I'm like, <laughs> I think now that I actually have the diagnosis from Lyme though, I think everyone's attitude has, has changed. Like there's a concrete evidence, you know, I'm CDC positive. Um, yeah. So before we get there, and, and we're, we're getting very close, uh, I'd, I'd like you to talk to us about whether or not you believe your illness, your undiagnosed illness, had an impact on any romantic relationships or any other social relationships with friends that you were having. Meaning, do you think, you think people were getting tired of you being sick all the time and therefore no longer um, maintained relationships with you? Definitely. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think this year too, I've noticed it's strange, you know, the friends that'll come and go, um, now that I do have, you know, this Lyme diagnosis and I'm also extremely vocal about it now too. I have some friends that have come out of the woodwork almost like to, to, to be like, oh, I'm friends with someone with a chronic illness. Like, I don't know if they think it's like, I'm doing a good deed where I'm like, I haven't talked to you in a while. And now you really want to like talk to me because I have, you know, I talk about being sick a lot. Like, does that make you feel good? I don't know. But or maybe they have an explanation about why you weren't able to be the friend maybe you, they needed you to be. And because they now have that understanding, they are now like, uh, they're convicted I never, by it. I haven't had someone tell me that, like you weren't there for me. I, I pride myself in being a very good friend, I think. Um, and a person just... A, I can communicate well with people. Um, I actually really value friendships and social time, but I have friends from college that have reached out being like, wow, I remember how sick you were. And now you finally have answers. I'm so happy for you. I remember back that sophomore year. I remember everything you were going through and like you weren't ever getting answers. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> let's get to the diagnosis. How did you finally get diagnosed after all these years of um, either psych false psychiatric uh, diagnoses or other types of uh, diagnosis? 
Yeah. I had spoken with um, more people. I had just been a lot more vocal, I think, about being chronically ill and dealing with some sort of invisible illness. And, you know, more people started to mention Lyme. And I had a friend, a college roommate whose mother-in-law has Lyme and had been to this facility. So I had spoken with her. I'd also spoken with a, a, a woman in LA who we had mutual friends in the, in the comedy world. We had coffee. I told her all my symptoms and she was like, those all sound like Lyme. I was like, yeah, but can you be nauseous from Lyme? And she's like, yes. And I was like, oh, I have all these other, like every, everything I was labeling. She was like, yeah, me too. My left knee. Yep. Me too. And I'm like, wow, this is wild. So then I was talking with my college roommate's mother-in-law who told me about this facility. Um, it's up in Reno, Nevada. And I went up there and, you know, within like day one, I like he, he listened and he was like, yeah, pretty positive you have Lyme and did a dark field microscope test, which they can see if you have the spirochetes. Um, and he, and that's not, the, that's like an indicator, but he was like, yeah, pretty positive. You have, you have, you know, a lot of them and they're all having babies. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> so many things inside me. Uh, and then I did the Igenix blood work and it came back. And he was like, I haven't seen someone this positive for Lyme in a long time. I was like, I win. I win the prize for chronic Lyme, CDC positive, but having been bitten by the tick, most likely as a child. So 20 years ago, how it was CDC positive. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. But that was when I discovered that it was Lyme and all these light bulbs just started going off. Everything was making sense. So Chris, in that 20 year period before this diagnosis, was there anything you were doing that was helping your symptoms that now you can look back and say, oh, that makes sense. I felt better for this symptom because I did this, that you can offer as advice to other people that may not have a diagnosis yet or maybe early on in their diagnostic journey? Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing I think is, is the food, like doing a low inflammatory diet, like gluten, dairy, you know, cut those out for the most part, cut out sugar if you can, for the most part, those all feed Lyme. Um, and I think just like listening to your body, I, mm, I kind of plowed through, <laughs> but um, for instance, like I shouldn't have driven that one time I fell asleep at the wheel, you know, like listen to your body. Like my friend could have driven my car. Like, why was I the one, you know, to drive? Um, but I think the biggest thing, yeah, the biggest thing that helped me over the last 11 years of when, you know, I started getting symptoms was changing my diet. It did really, really help. I thought I just had celiac. Like my symptoms for the most part were under control based on what I ate. So now when you finally got this diagnosis, Krista, what was that like for you? Obviously it's, it's rewarding and satisfying in a way because you know what you have. But did you realize what you were in for and the uphill battle that was ahead of you? Had no idea what I was in for, had no idea. And um, I was thrilled. I was thrilled because I finally had proof. And I think even though, you know, my, my parents believe me, my family, they've always been big supporters. We had concrete evidence. Like it's not, it's definitely not in my head now, you know, whether Lyme bacteria is up there, I don't know. Um, but I had something to be like, Hey, I, yeah, I, I have an illness and like, here's a paper to prove it, but had no idea how hard healing would be, had no 
idea. So once you got this positive diagnosis, what was the treatment protocol that your doctor put you on? Yeah, okay, so at this, at this facility, um, Sierra Integrated Facility um, up in Reno, Nevada, we, they do, um, it's ancient Chinese medicine and it's kind of a, it's holistic, um, but I liked him because he was kind of a mix of both Eastern and Western um, medicine. We did a hell of a lot of detoxing, tons and tons of detox IVs, FOSS to detox your liver, um, really, really high vitamin C IVs and hydrogen peroxide. Um, during this detox process, I actually got shingles in my ear and ended up in the ER uh, because I had blisters coming out of my ear. And actually my doctor at the time didn't like fully believe me. And I was like, something's wrong with my ear. Like something, I can feel it, it really hurts. I feel bumps Then all of a sudden blisters. It was an absolute nightmare. But as you're detoxing, it's weird. Like things will just start leaving your body. Like a lot of people will break out. He was like, you might get some acne, whatever. I was like, well, I, my ear is filled with bumps. So something's going on. But so once we finished with, you know, it was like a week, a week or two of um, the detoxing, the main treatment there. Oh, and including ionic foot baths and lymphatic massages. Um, we were doing that. We were, and we were doing the glyoxal butt shot, which is an immune boosting shot. And it also can help kill like baby spirochetes. Um, and, we're, and I was doing detox arm shots, which I don't know what they were. All of it's kind of ancient Chinese medicine and, and very hush hush about like kind of what's inside of it. Um, but then um, the main treatment there was hyperthermia. They had a uh, holistic plant-based medicine that they used, you know, with a shot and it induced a fever. And those fevers were they would get to around 103, 104, sometimes 105 degrees, super hot. Um, and I did 20 of them back to back with only Sundays off. It was really intense. Woo, really intense. Krista, talk to us about the value of hyperthermia at this clinic that you were at. Is the thought process that these high temperatures will kill the Lyme bacteria and they, the bacteria can't survive in temperatures that high? Yep. Yep. Basically that's it. And there's something about 20. I don't quite know, but there's something about like 20 was the minimum. And like, that's like the, the magic number. Um, some people have to go back for more, but basically, yeah, the, the body heats up the, the, the Lyme bacteria can't survive at those temperatures. You have intense Herxheimer reactions as you're killing them off. Um, I mean, we like shook, you were, we called it shaking and baking. Uh, we had, you would shake violently sometimes uh, the very first time. Um, oh, I had, I would get really bad Charlie horses in both my legs and I couldn't move and they were so cramped. Um, and then you're, you're, you, you know, you're having, you know, these shakes, it's like a mini seizure that would last, you know, 30 minutes, not no more than an hour usually. And then your temperature would skyrocket. And during that time, you're freezing. You are so cold. I was covered with like, you know, eight blankets, electric blankets, everything. Um, I had bags of magnesium, didn't help me um, with the leg cramping. And then you would get super, super hot. <laughs> um, but this whole process would last a couple hours. 
And then either naturally your temperature would start to come down or you would take an Advil or something to help bring it down. And then you would, you know, I'd go home to the hotel usually with my mom and sleep it off. And then you wake up the next day and you do it all again. So Chris, I'm interested to learn how this is different than the hyperthermia done at Clinic St. George. We've had a lot of guests who have gone there for hyperthermia and there they could put in this this like tube and they get put into this medically induced coma and they also get injected with IV antibiotics to work in parallel with the mm-hmm. fever to kill the Lyme. So at this naturopathic clinic that you were at, were they also giving you herbs to kill the Lyme while giving you herbs to induce this fever or are they just focusing on a fever to kill the bacteria and do that 20 days consecutively? Uh, they were just doing the, the fever shot, but we were doing so much detoxing at the same time. And I think that was their main key. And like with the lymphatic massages, we would get that a few times a week to make sure everything was able to drain out. And with the ionic foot baths and the shots, I think the detox shots and the immune boosting shots, um, were kind of their philosophies. We didn't do any kind of um, IV antibiotics. I ended up taking antibiotics for the shingles in my ear. Um, but um, I have heard of that, but no, we didn't do it that way. Mm-hmm. So now, where is your head at this point? Because you're doing a lot of these detox protocols and you're doing now hyperthermia, many of which are making you feel worse, which is part of the process. Now you're new to Lyme disease. So what are you thinking? What's going through your head at this point when you're feeling worse from all the treatment you're getting? You know, I was told that was going to happen. So I had the mindset of like, we're going to feel really shitty um, and we're going to get through it. I was the person <laughs> and I'll have this in my, you know, the doc- documentary that I'm making, but I was the person that was singing Shakira and shaking songs as I was going through these fever process, or I was making voice notes being like, um, uh, like I'm feeling fever, fever you know, uh, and making up little songs to help me get through it, help my friends get through it. I'm always the comic relief, um, singing, you know, Jonas Brothers songs, but putting like Lyme disease in there instead. Um, That's what I was doing. So, and I was very grateful. I had my mom with me and the hotel we were staying at was kind of around the corner. So yeah, my head was, It was, I cried. I cried during some of the fever pushes. I was in so much pain. A lot of other people didn't experience the pain I experienced. I think everyone deals with the fever in a different way. A lot of people couldn't um, eat afterwards for whatever reason. I always had an appetite and, you know, had my mom make me waffles, gluten-free waffles or so. Um, But I think I was just so ready to start the healing process. And I, I also really thought like, oh, the, the um, six weeks that I was there, I was like, I'm gonna be great. I gotta go through this and I'm gonna be great. Ha ha, ha 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 ha. <laughs> Not the case, but, um, but it was, you know, it, it, it was a starting point. And I am doing, you know, so much better. Um, I like to jump ahead. I'm probably going to. Yeah, so before, before we go there, Krista, let's jump back. So yeah, you're six weeks at this clinic. Was there a point at which your health started to improve after getting worse from all of these treatments that you were getting? Oh, gosh. 
Um, I had Babesia symptoms. I had terrible, terrible night sweats that inflamed when I was there too. I think for the first couple of weeks, I was drenched every night, like drenched in a puddle. And by the end of it, that was gone for one thing. I, I felt like my, my GI symptoms would flare up and then they would get better. You know, there was, it was, I was going through so much. My body was going through so much. All my organs were going through so much. It definitely didn't feel like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm healed now. Even afterwards, I experienced like very, very strong fatigue for a few weeks. Um, although I was able to drive eight hours home, you know, somehow me and fatigue and driving seems to be a-okay. <laughs> um, Probably but, wasn't the best idea at that point, but <laughs> so, but you, so you mentioned earlier that you believed at the end of a six week period, you would be symptom free and be better. Now you're mm -hmm. leaving and you're not cured. So what was that like for you realizing that your expectation for this clinic was not a reality? I think um, I learned after talking to a few people that, and the doctor even said this too, he was like, it could take a minimum of three months after treatments to feel better. So I did have that leaving being like, okay. Um, and I did start to feel a lot better, maybe four months after and I continued with detoxing and continued with all these home protocols of these shots and so, but I had almost a month being symptom free, um, which was amazing. And I think I got a little too happy and I started eating some things with sugar and whatnot and I crashed again. But a lot of other patients who have gone through that clinic too have all said a year. They were like, it takes a year for your organs to recover from all of those fevers. So I'm still kind of like, you know, hopeful and knowing that that was a huge step in my healing, but also knowing like I need to do home care, continue with detoxing um, and now fight, you know, parasites and these critters in the body. But so I the think, um, yeah. I'm sorry, Chris. So the home care that you're doing now, all of these detox shots, um, these, these immune boosting shots, et cetera, are they all protocols that you're still getting from the clinic, except you're doing them at home rather than at the clinic? Yeah, so I left the clinic and I was doing um, heavy metal shots, actually. They're desensitization shots, but those shots ca caused um, full body hives, not in the beginning, a couple weeks in. And that's where I think I had, you know, MCAS flare up, which I never had before. Um, but the glyoxal is the butt shot. You know, oh, you know, when I was doing that shot there, I was in so much pain, like extreme amounts of pain. That pain would last 30 minutes, if not more. No one else had that amount of pain with the butt shots. So I think my body was extremely, extremely toxic. Um, and I notice now the pain lasts, you know, 15 seconds now when I do the butt shot um, compared to, I mean, sometimes maybe an hour going into the feed, like it was insane. And I had to do half the dose, but um, I got an infrared sauna uh, that I got myself that I do. My doctor is not telling me how many times to do it. I do it when I need to, I do it almost every day. Um, but I do, I talk with him 
Dr. Fong about every two weeks or so we check in. And now the parasite meds that I'm taking are all herbal supplements. They're not from him. Um, one was from a chiropractor that I had seen. Uh, I, I, I see a lot in LA and, and now I'm seeing a nutritionist who I had seen before who had diagnosed me with SIBO and candida previously. Um, and this, the chiropractor that I have also seen in LA was amazing a couple years ago. I was symptom free for months. Um, and then I got the flu shot and then I, you know, completely crashed. That was my experience with the flu shot, um, a year ago, a little over a year ago. Um, and I've done a lot of muscle testing, but my things with these two doctors that really helped me with symptoms, neither of them could figure out that it was Lyme. A lot, I had a lot of doctors help me with symptoms over the last couple of years and kind of putting band-aids on, but we never got to the root case. So Krista, before we get into, I want to come back to a lot of things you just discussed, like the MCAS, parasites, your mm -hmm. nutritionist, the flu shot, et cetera. But yeah. I want to focus on something that you just said earlier, which was when you came back from the clinic a short period after you were symptom free, but then you started to loosen up and be more lax and eat things that you knew you shouldn't have eaten and maybe change your lifestyle a bit. So looking back, would you think a tip for others who are at that point in their journey is when you're feeling better, don't just go full force and go back to your normal life because you will have a setback. You need to ease back into things and you can't just say, I'm feeling better. I'm going to go nuts and go back to the way I was before, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I didn't go like nut um, by any means. I still am basically, uh, I'm gluten-free, dairy-free all the time, but I definitely had some things that had sugar in it. And I don't know if it was, um, you know, all of that, that put me over the edge or if that's maybe when the parasites were just starting to kind of brew, like having that layered, you know, peel off. I don't know, but I am constantly having to remind myself that, you know, when I feel a hundred percent and some days I feel a hundred percent that I still have to be careful. And it's a constant battle in my mind because when you feel great, you feel great. I feel invincible. I don't feel chronically ill at all. And it feels amazing. And I want to do all those things. I'm going to go all hiking and do all those things. Like the spoon theory doesn't exist that day. It doesn't. Um, and then it normally does <laughs> happen later. Um, and I will, you know, have a little bit of a crashing episode. Um, but it's very hard when you feel sick for so long and you feel so good not to want to indulge. So I definitely would give that advice to people to like, take it easy. Mm -hmm. So Chris, so let's go back to MCAS or mast cell activation syndrome, because many people with Lyme end up with it. And many yeah. people with Lyme likely have it, don't even know they have it because it is something that many people with Lyme get. So what was your experience like and what were your symptoms that led you to believe that you had mast cell activation syndrome? Yeah, so besides the full body hives that kept coming um, randomly too, uh, I would go outside and I sit on my balcony in the sun and I would be covered in red splotches. I was like, I'm allergic to the sun all of a sudden. I, what is this? Um, and so I basically didn't know anything about mast cell activation syndrome. And it was talking with my support group saying like, I'm having all these really weird symptoms right now. What do you guys think that is? They're like, oh, have you looked into that? I'm like, no, I haven't looked into MCAS. Um, I really haven't done much treatment for it. I was taking um, Benadryl 
for the hives or was taking antihistamines before. I definitely have allergies. My family has um, a history of allergies outside and maybe that has always been a bit of MCAS. I don't know my allergic reactions to things, but I wasn't someone that would walk into um, like Home Depot and have reactions. I didn't, I also think my body was extremely toxic and it didn't have reactions because it was filled to the brim with toxicity otherwise. Like now, for instance, like as I'm detoxing and healing and treating these parasites, I did, I put on that charcoal mask the other night and I got hives all over my hands for no reason. I'm, I'm thinking like, oh, it's because I'm a lot less toxic now. My body can react to things and it's overreactive is what, you know, MCAS is. And um, as you're detoxing and healing, I think it's easier to get those symptoms. Another interesting thing you brought up was that you were symptom free and you got the flu shot and that brought back your symptoms and started to make you sick again. Now, we have heard many, many people tell us on the podcast that vaccines and flu shots, especially like the HPV vaccine, will either will either activate dormant Lyme or make them feel worse. And especially now with the COVID vaccine coming out in the near future, what are your thoughts on down the road for you personally and your experience with the flu shot? Will you get the flu shot down the road again? And will you consider getting the COVID vaccine when it is available for you to take? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not getting the flu shot this year. Um, definitely not because I had been symptom free, you know, having seen this chiropractor who does neurological realignment. He's amazing. Um, his name's Dr. Burns in Los Angeles. Uh, but yeah, the flu shot just, woo. I, oh my gosh, I'm so, so, so sick for months. Um, and my body, yeah, can't deal with that. Um, and some people, you know, need the flu shot. I'm very much that my opinion on everything is like, every body is different. Everybody is different. Every body is different. Me personally, I'm not getting the flu shot this year because I, don't want to have the same reaction I had last year. I got the flu shot growing up, I think every year, and I didn't have that type of reaction. So, but my body now is like, time to heal from Lyme disease. It, it's time, we're doing it. So I'm not gonna add in anything that might hinder that. Um, as far as COVID, like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't want that. I don't want to get COVID. Um, I don't know. I'm definitely not going to be one of those first people to get the vaccines. Like you, we're going to have all those other people um, try it out first, but I feel like I'm going to have a lot of talks with my doctors and try to weigh all of my options. And I think that's what everyone should do. And as far as that. So Christy, you also mentioned that you now have a nutritionist and are on additional supplements. So what prompted you to see that nutritionist? Were there symptoms or some sort of food sensitivities or concerns that brought you to that nutritionist? Well, I, I saw this nutritionist, um, their Ideal Bodies Nutrition in Los Angeles. I love them. They're great. They had helped me with Candida and SIBO in the past, really helped me um, fight those. Uh, but again, you know, they didn't have a, a muscle test for Lyme. We'd, so we were missing the root cause that whole time. Um, but I'd been seeing my chiropractor who had told me I was... Uh, parasite free. He was like, you're not test muscle testing for parasites anymore. And a woman who I'd done colonics with, I had messaged her that and she said, you know, you might not be active for parasites, but they could still be dead inside your body and not have left. 
Um, so keep like detoxing and, and things. And I'm like, oh, I keep seeing them and I keep having reactions. I, I get like intense stomach pain, stomach knot, intestinal inflammation. Um, like I would eat something, I would be extremely full. I would have like a cup of soup that would, that's all I could eat one day. Um, so my uh, personal experience, at least with these parasites has not been that they were eating all the food and, um, you know, uh, I was losing a lot of weight or anything. I was extremely bloated, um, and I couldn't eat. Some people eat, 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 and they, you know, the parasites take it all. I don't know. For me, that wasn't the case. Um, but I just, I knew deep in my bones, I think that they weren't gone. They weren't gone. I wasn't better. I still had the same weird symptoms happening. Um, so I was like, I'm going to go back to this nutritionist who also does muscle testing and see what they say. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you got a bunch, you got a lot. So let's put you on these supplements. And so far I feel only been, you know, two days on, um, I feel a lot better. I feel a lot better. So two follow-up questions on that, Krista. So you mentioned that your nutritionist and your chiropractor both do muscle testing. So for our listeners who don't know what that is, can you explain what muscle testing is and what it's like for you to receive that type of testing? Sure. I was very skeptical at first. <laughs> Having grown up in a family that didn't do like Eastern medicine at all the last couple of years, seeing, um, you know, I, saw, I, I did Skype healing sessions with people in the Philippines. I did you know, I did a lot of healing sessions um, with people because I'm like, I'm doing everything possible to heal from whatever was wrong with me. Um, and yeah, muscle testing kept kind of coming up. For me, when they do it, they'll take my arm and they'll have a vial of some supplement or something. And they they test on your arm, the, the strength of your arm, the way they do it. And it, it shows you if your body is reactive to that thing or not. And it basically will say like, yeah, your body really wants this or no, your body's really rejecting this. And so they'll dose amounts of things of supplements to take based on um, what your arm does or that you can test on different parts of the body. I think too, I'm not an expert on muscle testing by any means. Um, and part of me, I think the first time when I did muscle testing, I like really tried to keep my hand, you know, I know the, the listeners can't see me, <laughs> you can see me, but I would try to like, you can't push it down. Like it's just you forcing it down for that supplement. You're pushing harder and no, it never worked. <laughs> like your body goes limp with certain things. Like my body, I've had no arm strength when I would hold some, certain, like sugar or something. And then they would give me whatever it is like right now, like garlic to help um, drain. And it's like super strong. It's the strangest thing. It's the strangest thing, but it really does help. So Krista, for those who are listening, I have to admit when we first started Tickwood Camp in this podcast, I thought muscle testing was crazy. <laughs> I now believe it is a great tool to help people in the Lyme community from hearing this over and over and over again, how it's helped people like yourself. So essentially it seems like you just hold out your arms straight out. You hold these vials and whatever's in the vial, if you have strength, your body needs it. If you have weakness, it's something your body is, is, um, allergic to or doesn't respond well to it sounds like yeah basically i think so i also want to go back to the whole the whole parasites before we dig deeper into parasites what made you think that you had parasites to begin with when your original doctor who muscle tested you said you don't have any parasites 
what made you know deep down inside was it intuition? No, I ended up in the ER. A little bugger came out of me. So I had done <laughs> the liver detox, um, a really intense liver detox. And I've done it twice now. And both times has been extremely bad afterwards. Um, my bile ducts get clogged from this, all the olive oil I have to drink. I'm in a lot of pain. I get a fever. Like I'm, I was on the floor crying the first time it happened. Like, and I, I'm not a crier, you know, I'm a big kind of fighter positive person. And I was just whoo, out for the count, but I did it the second time. I didn't have as bad of a reaction, but my bile duct still got clogged. I was doing colonics during it, trying to get everything moving. I saw my chiropractor that day and I was like, I'm in so much pain. He's pushing on my bile duct and it's hurt. Like, I mean, whoo, it was really, really, really painful. And he pushed, 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 and shaking it around, whatever he was doing. Um, I got a colonic that day. And then a couple hours later, I'm home. And all of a sudden I get this intense pain. It's hard to explain intense something. I was like, oh, I'm going to throw up or like something it's something's happening. Um, I, I get up and I go to the toilet just to try to pass gas. Cause when you have a colonic, there's no poop that's going to come out of you for a while. Like I shit for an hour straight after that. Um, and I'm on the toilet trying to pass gas and I look down and there was a long worm in the toilet. I didn't feel it come out. It just slipped out. Um, <laughs> honestly. And, but the thing is that didn't fully register. I was in so, I was delirious. I was in so much pain. Like I thought I had appendicitis. I thought something burst. Like I, I'm really good friends with my neighbors who live below me. Um, I had them come up you know, I'm in hysterics. I'm like emergency call my Lyme doctor. It's like 10 o'clock at night. He's like, maybe you have a bowel obstruction. Um, like we thought it was something bad, like something really serious. Um, and not that parasites aren't serious. They are. But the fact that the worm had left my butt wasn't the thing that was, it should have been the main thing, but it wasn't, you know, it was like that, that little, that worm that came out of you couldn't be causing all these things that are happening now. I go to the ER, you know, I'm on the floor crying. They're not seeing me. Oh, it was a terrible experience. Um, then they gave me, you know, morphine, which was like, ah, this is great. But even then I was like, I, you know, I, I pooped out a worm and they're like, you don't have parasites. I'm like, well, a worm came out of my asshole. So I don't know what you call that, but um, <laughs> like I do. And he's like, well, have you been traveling to any foreign countries recently? And I'm like 11 years ago. Um, but I was like, no. And he's like, no, that's not it. And I did a CT scan, you know, of my abdomen and he comes back. And what do you think he says? You're constipated. Just like Dr. Jolly Bumsworth. And I'm like, well, I had a colonic where I shit for an hour and he's like, yeah, well, it doesn't reach all the way up in your, you know, colon. I'm like, am I a special person that I just have poop that sits all the way up, you know, and my rib cage versus other people? Like, I'm just filled with shit every day. So much poop. Honestly, like, that is the answer I get so often from doctors. And I'm like, I don't know why I have so much poop in me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, but after talking to some other people and the colonic woman, who's a friend of mine about, you know, the fact that I had actually shit a worm and I took a picture of it and they were all like, that looks like a long tapeworm. That's when we were like, oh, all those pains that I was experiencing were parasites. She was like, and I also had this rank gas. Sorry, listeners, TMI, welcome to my open book. 
This no is such thing as TMI here in the Big Bootcamp podcast. So yeah. put it all out there. <laughs> I had rank gas. Like it didn't smell normal. Like it was bizarre. And I've still, like, I sometimes smell that. I'm like, oh, there's a worm that's going to come out of my asshole soon. Like, and as the parasites die, they release their own gas. They release their own toxic chemicals in your body. So that night that I ended up in the ER, I had all this gas pain. It was gas that like, you couldn't leave your body. Like I couldn't fart it out. It was intense pain. It was the damn parasites dying. Or I think I may have passed that parasite partly alive. And that's why I ended up in the ER. Like, I'm not sure. I hadn't been taking any kind of supplements to kill them. So I don't know. But at that point, my body was like, it is time to get these things out of your body. I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. So that's how I knew I had parasites. Had no idea beforehand, even though symptoms of GI stuff has been in my past for a very long time, for whatever reason, people miss things and got to be. So Krista, when, before you ended up in the hospital, was it just the parasite or was, was it, was there a bowel movement and, and a parasite that, that you, um, that saw in the toilet bowl? Just, just the parasite. parasite. And yes. you had photos and you brought these photos with you and show the ER doctor of this queer parasite. So- no, I was so delayed. I had it on my phone. I was in so much excruciating pain. I remember saying, I have a photo, I have a photo. And he was like, no, you don't have parasites. And he shot me up with morphine and then I was out. So I he, never- he didn't believe you. He didn't want to see it. He didn't ask to see it. He just totally blew well, you off. Then I showed, you know, my, my primary care doctor too. I did, I had a, like a Zoom doc meeting with her the next day. I showed her, she was in extreme shock. I ended up, I didn't, she was like, you should have captured it. So then the next time I had, parasites I captured it took it to her um the nurse (laughs) uh she was like I'm gonna have the nurse put it into a container for you and the nurse comes in and she's like really hesitant and I'm like I'll just do it like you're scared to touch my poop like I just had to go find this worm I'm hands in poop you know whatever give me a glove I will take the worm for you I'll do your job um I ended up taking two different worms different looking things to the lab both came back negative and both times, either the nurse or the technician at the lab have, have shocked, screamed and shocked. Never seen a worm like that. Never seen. That must be tapeworm. Negative. What do you mean they came back negative? They came back negative for being a parasite? Yep. But they were actual worms. I'm yep. just a little confused on that. So how, how can a, an actual, something tangible in front of you not be a parasite when it is a parasite? No idea. But I have heard that a lot from the Lyme community. Other friends that have, my aunt in particular, has dealt with Lyme and parasites and she's sent multiple in for testing and they've all come back negative. So it sounds like this parasite testing is just as good as the Lyme testing itself where it's horrible and you had a parasite and the testing was just awful. Literally, like, what do you think that, like, do you have worms coming out your asshole? You know, pretty sure that's not normal. I, ha- I have to admit that when we, we saw this on your Instagram, this was going back when you had this experience and it prompted Rich and I to go and look for parasites on TikTok and various other platforms. And there are a lot of videos and I will say, be careful because they're graphic. You need to have, um, you know, you can't be squeamish, but there was a lot of people with chronic Lyme disease that have parasites and have all different types of videos showing more than one from a bowel movement. And, and it, it's more common than you'd think in the Lyme community, I think, and in the world in general, just people aren't, aren't aware of it. I mean, you, be, you may be passing parasites and not even know what it sounds like from what we did from our research. Yeah, yeah. And some, you know, 
Oh, it pissed me off so much too, you know, the controversial aspects of Lyme um, and chronic Lyme and now the controversial aspects of um, ropeworms. Now I've seen multiple things that aren't ropeworms in my stool, but ropeworms, um, it's said in the community are just mucus strands. They're not parasites. And that's why those might come back negative. They don't have the type of muscular setting a normal parasite has. I have a, a friend who works in the lab and looks for parasites. And so, so I constantly send her pictures and I'm like, here we come more poop pictures your way. Yeah. Um, well, but Chris, I think this is something that we've never discussed in detail on our podcast before, but I think it's really important because when we saw this, I know we shared with you when we, we um, sent you a link to a Lyme disease.org article, and mm -hmm. it talks about what are some things that keep chronic Lyme people sick. And one of the top five was parasitic infections. And it yeah. mentions that when you are sick from Lyme disease, that your body is so weak, it allows these parasites to flourish and replicate. And as you try to get better, these parasites now are in an abundance in your system and you can't get better because they're keeping you sick. So yeah. it makes me wonder how many other people have parasites and that's one of the contributing factors to their chronic Lyme and they don't even know they have them. Yeah, I mean, it said when I started to do research on this, it said that like 60 to 70% of people in general get parasites, just be anywhere. You know, in America, doesn't matter. It's, you don't have to be in Guatemala or in a foreign country to get a parasite. They're here, they're wherever you live. It's whether or not your body can fight them off is kind of what I think, you know, about it. I do think people with chronic Lyme, we have, you know, compromised immune systems. We have a lot harder time detoxing and fighting things. And for me, like I wish I had known about parasites before I ended up in the ER. That seems to be my journey too. It's like, we miss these things and then something detrimental happens. And then finally a light bulb comes, you know, flickers on or I, I see the worm. Um, and I do think it's something that people should, you know, be considering and talking with their doctors or looking into, um, you know, parasite detox protocols. Now you really need to be, detoxing properly, you know, before jumping into, I'm going to kill all these parasites. Um, like your pathways need to be open. And um, I feel like a lot of people might listen to me being like parasites being like, oh, maybe I have them too, which you might, but it might not be your time to treat for them. It might be, and it might have been a big thing you've missed. You know, I missed it with my Lyme doctor. God, this is a huge issue. I think I have, I've, it's, I've been two months now shitting worms almost every day. And now my nutritionist said, it's probably gonna be another three to six months. Are you kidding me? Great. If you, weren't, if you weren't healthy enough because you've made significant improvements and you weren't detoxing and opening up these pathways to eliminate waste, both via sweat, poop, you mm -hmm. name it, um, you know, coffee enemas, colonics, all these things that you're doing, if yeah. you aren't ready for it and you started to kill these parasites, you could have gotten even more sick because you couldn't have gotten, you would yeah. have been able to get rid of all these dead toxins or parasites in your body, it sounds like. Yeah, a big symptom I had growing up too, um, I couldn't, I never sweat. I was a big athlete. I rarely sweat. Like my body just does not like to detox. It really doesn't. I have a hard time detoxing and I think letting go in general of things. Maybe that's, you know the spiritual aspect of that. I like to hold on to all my friends and everything and everyone forever and ever. So <laughs> I'm not a hoarder, don't worry. No. No, so, but you're still, this is people <laughs> that are listening that may think that they have parasites. From your experience, and I know you've now learned a lot about parasites and Lyme, 
what are the symptoms that you get, which you now know to be attributed to parasites and that cause you now do a parasitic cleanse to get rid of them? So I'm definitely not an expert on any of this. And a lot of this is just me like figuring it out as I go. But for instance, with like with my body, I've, all, I've had gut issues and GI problems for a while. Um, but when I started getting like really strange cramping and bloating um, lower down, a lot of it's like lower intestinal stuff. Um, for me, I found I was going to the bathroom um, a lot. Like I would do, okay, so I started with the parasite cleansing. I did, you know, Mimosa Pudica, which is amazing. Um, and then I would take a break. I, my chiropractor said 10 days on, five days off, give your liver a break. Well, I would go about two days, maybe three days off. And I had all these symptoms come up again. They're GI symptoms. I felt like I was shitting six times a day. What I think, and I'm, I feel like I'm pretty on about it versus the doctors is that my body was like, I am trying to get rid of this stuff and I'm doing it myself. So I'm just going to keep trying to shit it out and I don't have a binder. So they're not leaving. I don't, you're not stunning them right now. They're not dying. So I'm just going to keep trying to shit, but it's not working. So that's my biggest symptom. I think I have the light bulb click on my head is like, okay, I'm going to the bathroom a lot today and it's not, and I'm not anxious or anything. Um, I think my body is trying to expel something and it's not working. Um, so now when you take the binders and the other things, it starts to work. So Krista, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit because what Rich and I have learned, the real experts in the Lyme community are people like you who have gone through it all, who have learned from trial and error and experiencing this themselves. Doctors, yeah. that doctors that haven't gone through it can't communicate or or help people in the same way you can. So your advice is far more valuable than a doctor who hasn't gone through a parasitic infection like you have. So I just want to point that out for our listeners and for you, that you really are a valuable asset to help people in the Lyme community when it comes to parasitic infections. And you've done a lot and you've, you've made major progress. So I think my biggest thing right now too, is like, I'm taking these new supplements. um, And they're over there. I can tell people what they are. Spanish black radish is, I think, a big binder. Garlic to detox. Um, some name I'm not going to know. I can say it if you want to go look. But And then one of the VHRM1 things are like the um, wormwood. All those things are mixed in these capsules. Um, I'm hungry now. My other symptom too is like I couldn't eat. I had all this pain and bloating. And if I ate something, I would have bad reactions to it. And now I started taking these, you know, two days ago, I have such an appetite. It's crazy. Um, so that's a big shift for me. At least something's happening, you know, it's, and it's great to feel like, wow, I can eat and I don't feel sick. I don't have this crazy, terrible stomach pain, like a brick in me. Um, I actually feel like, oh, I can maybe eat breakfast, lunch and dinner today. And, and feel okay, you know, and not, yes, that's been a big thing for me. So Krista, we're going to drop your contact information in the show notes of the podcast. So if somebody is interested and wants to learn specifically what supplements and herbs you're on for this parasitic cleanse and your liver cleanse, they can reach out to you if that's okay with you. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. So another, another thing we talked about uh, before starting the podcast is that I just want to 
kind of bounce back a little bit. You had a low grade 99.8 fever for months with Lyme disease. So can you tell us more about what that was like for you? Because there are many other people we're finding, especially recently, that have a low grade fever with Lyme and mm-hmm. they think they're unique. And we're finding that they're not unique in, in yeah. that symptom. I think um, the fevers that I've gotten a lot this year in this healing journey, I feel like a lot of it contribute back to um, like detoxing and having mild Herxheimer reactions. I think when I get those fevers, it's a mild Herxheimer reaction. I, as I'm fighting parasites, I have a much higher temperature a lot. I notice um, I would get, you know, full body hives, have a high temperature. I would do the glyoxal butt shot. You're not supposed to really herx from that. I would get fevers. So my Lyme doctor was like, I think you're herxing from all these things. I think all these detoxers, these detoxes that you're doing are working. I'm killing all these things. My body's temperature is going up because of it. And it's, and it's like, that's our body's response. You know, we get fevers because our body's fighting something and it's trying to help us. So I was definitely super, super concerned at first with the fevers too. And it was, you know, months of these strange, you know, I'd wake up, I'd be like 95 point something. And then I'd get to like 99.8. I was like, does anyone else's temperature (laughs) do this? And then some line people were like, well, yeah. I'm like, oh, great. Okay. I feel much calmer knowing I'm not a crazy, you know, lone wolf with this symptom, but, um, I think especially now with COVID, everyone's kind of on edge. So it's like, oh, I have a low grade fever. Ah. But you know, if you're Lyme, you have, you have Lyme and you're fighting Lyme. For me, I get them quite a lot. And it's always when I'm fighting something. So like, as I'm doing the parasite cleanses right now, like the temperature goes up. Mm-hmm. So I just want to point out for our listeners that everything we just discussed as far as your diagnosis and your treatment journey has been over the, just, just a one year period you've done all this. Yeah. Is there anything else we missed that you want to highlight that either has benefited you and you want to share with our listeners or something that you've learned from a mistake you may have made that you want to share with our listeners to, to help them not make that same mistake? Hmm. Oh gosh. You know, I feel like I, most people I think know this now too, maybe not, but like we have to be our own advocates. Um, over the last 11 years, seeing so many doctors getting opinions from so many people and so many friends like, oh, this helped so-and-so. Same thing with the Lyme community. Oh, my friend got healed from Lyme from doing this. Everyone's journey is different. Um, Everyone's body is not gonna react the same way. Everyone's healing process is different. Like hypothermia may have worked for someone. It may not work for someone else. Antibiotics may work for someone. It may not work for someone else. Um, I think just constantly listening to yourself and like, you know, your body the best. So it's like when, you know, my chiropractor had said, oh, you don't have parasites anymore. I should have stayed on the meds or like brought it up to my Lyme doctor, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, you could do all these things. I'm back on different meds now, but I do wish I maybe hadn't have taken such a, a big break a couple of weeks um, because I was finding them in the toilet constantly still and still feeling really sick. So I think like, you know, your own body um, and you know when something's wrong and like to keep 
pushing for yourself and for your answers and for your healing and, and keep talking to people and keep asking questions and um, never giving up hope or faith. And I think the biggest thing for me that I've noticed in my healing since doing the hyperthermia treatments before that I would get um, flare ups that would last three days. I don't know if anyone else has experienced that cycle, but it would always be three days and it would be um, strange, like nausea. I would feel it coming on. I would get really hot. I get a hot flash and get really nauseous. Um, And then I would get really a lot of pain the next day. And then a lot of fatigue. It was like this strange thing that would happen constantly three days. Now, if I get a flare up, sometimes a couple hours, you know, like yesterday, the parasite meds that I'm taking um, can cause fatigue. And I took around two around lunch and I was cleaning my apartment halfway through it. I had to stop. I was like, so fatigued. My eyes could barely open my eyes. That's my first symptom. I it's like the spirit was just sucked out of me. Fatigue had to stop, have to listen to your body. Um, but now after doing those, those hyperthermia treatments, sometimes it's only a couple hours and I, and I can bounce back or with nausea, maybe it's a day, you know, that's where I was like, wow. Okay. It really did help. It did do something. You know, I'm maybe not hundred percent in remission yet, um, but I'm starting and I'm on that journey to get there. Chris, I could talk to you all day. So I'm just gonna ask you <laughs> one last question before I hand it over back to Rich. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm being selfish and taking time from him. <laughs> so right now today, how, give us an idea of where your health is at today compared to where it was at your worst, what you're doing now that you couldn't do before and talk to us about the improvements and the gains you've made with your healing journey. I mean, yeah, definitely not having this debilitating nausea is huge for me. Um, And I had to, like, I I was taking, um, what is that, Uh, Zofran, nausea medicine. I was every day, you know, and some people, and some people do, you know, but I was really just trying to mask everything. And now I'm like really trying to get to the bottom of it. But I... I feel like what's helped me the most, I think this last year is now knowing that, okay, this is a flare up. It's going to pass. It's still hard. I still have to like catch myself and, and, and really, you know, be in that positive mindset. But, you know, I felt really sick earlier this week. I reached out to you guys being like, I told you I was 80% better. And I know I'm not, I'm not, I feel really sick. Um, and it passed, it passed. And I really feel, I feel great. I have a little app where I track, you know, my health. Um, and I definitely have had a lot of healthy days. I'm not working out as much as I used to. I feel like I have the energy too. You know, some people comment on my videos that you guys have posted being like, she has so much energy. I am an energizer bunny. I always have been, even when I've had like debilitating fatigue, somehow I'm just able to like, I don't know, keep going somehow. Um, but I, I feel like I'm conscious about my organs and my muscles and I don't want to put extra strain on them where I know like internally I'm fighting, you know, externally, you, you would never know internally. It's like my body's killing lots of bugs, you know, and I'm taking things to do that now, but, um, yeah, I think, I think I'm not, you know, where I was when I was 18, you know, before I got chronically ill with, you know, invisible illness. 
I still have, you know, GI issues. Um, clearly I still have, you know, parasites and things, but I feel like I'm on that path of healing. I have that diagnosis, which was honestly more important to me than I thought it was going to be. Knowing that it's not all in my head um, has been huge. And I think I just, knowing that like I'm on the right track. Sometimes I feel like, oh, maybe I need to go see another doctor. Maybe I need to do this. And maybe I do, maybe I will. I don't know when the healing journey is gonna end. I really don't. I would love it to be done tomorrow. Like I would love to be in remission tomorrow. We all want instant gratification. As humans, we are designed that way too, especially with social media now. Like we want it, we want it now. And I just have to constantly remind myself like, okay, patience. I was sick for 11 years. And the tick that I think gave it to me was 20 years ago. So my body has had potentially Lyme disease for 20 years. It's been less than one year of treatments and healing. Like I've got to give my body credit and be patient and, and just keep going. Because as a storyteller, you're familiar with the inner journey. And I'd like you to talk to our listeners about your inner journey and how this experience has been transformative for you. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I feel like everyone kind of says this, like you, you learn and you grow from your trials and I'd like to think that like I was a kind and compassionate person before I got invisible illness, but I definitely know I'm even more so now. Uh, just knowing that you never know what someone is going through. You never know. And I think a lot of my friends, honestly, um, I feel like maybe some of my friends have had bigger inner journeys than, than I have being friends with me and seeing that like, wow, you you're so sick. And I would have no, no idea. You know, I, I, you, I, you can't keep judging people. You can't, um, you just have to constantly be kind to people. You never know what someone is, is battling mental illness or anything. Um, but I think what hit me a couple years ago and when I was at my absolute worst was that, okay, this is for a reason. Like, and I, I I'm a person of faith. I, I believe in God. And I was like, okay, God has, for whatever reason, um, this is my journey. You know, I'm dealing with Lyme disease and chronic illness and know it was Lyme at the time. And, but I felt compelled to start sharing because I'm like, okay, maybe like my story is going to help someone else. So I do think that my journey with Lyme disease, I've become much more of an advocate about it than I ever thought I would. I mean, you see, you know, I'm like trying to fight the CDC, you know, my, <laughs> just myself, my little TikTok videos. <laughs> and, and I honestly have reached so, so many people. And I do hope that I can be, you know, an inspiration and comical relief for a lot of people. Now, side note with that is, I feel like it's, hard a lot of people with healing from Lyme get stuck in this pattern of like okay like my sickness and my illness is helping other people I have to stay sick in order to help other people and I think that's subconsciously something that I'm trying to work through because my healing journey is going to help people and being 100% in remission I can still help people um, but as of you know right now as I'm fighting parasites and off and on, not feeling great. I'm sharing that that journey, and I'm sharing my story 
Um, and I feel, I feel very called to be an advocate for um, this disease. Because as you know, we really enjoy you using uh, the comedic arts to deal with some very complex issues. In yeah. fact, you've dealt with some of the most complex issues. For example, um, one of our favorite uh, comedic videos that you've uh, posted on TikTok and we've reposted is, uh, is a video that you, I think, entitled, Okay, I Got This, right? So the mindset issue that comes along with being punched in the face by the CDC, by insurance companies, by, by you know, the cost of, of paying for your own care. And, I, and quite frankly, we thought it was brilliant that you dealt with such a difficult issue in a, you know, in a comedic fashion. So can you talk about how the comedic arts and your storytelling um, tools have been, have been the, um, I, I guess, the vehicle that you've used to deal with these very complex issues? Yeah, I think, you know, the vehicles that I use, as you would say, like I've been doing that my whole life um, with everything in my life. So it just, it just felt natural for me to now let's sprinkle in Lyme disease about it. I, you know, my web series I wrote was about being single and dating and all the comic stories around that. So it just honestly came natural to me to be a storyteller about Lyme. But I do think um, there's something, you know, you go through the colonic process where, <laughs> you know, the first time I went here in LA and it was an open container. I, the very first time I did it, it was a closed container. I don't like the closed containers because then the woman is holding the tube in your ass as you're shitting and then you can watch it together leave your butt um, and she stays with you the whole time. I didn't like that. Um, so the open container is like you're kind of on the table and it's like a little bathtub underneath you essentially and then you can be by yourself. Well, not the first time. Uh, this woman was with me and she actually was um, rubbing my stomach and, and you know pushing on it. And she's like, okay, we're gonna push together. Like we're gonna push out this poop together. And I'm like, I am giving childbirth right now as my feet are up in like two kind of strappy things essentially. Um, and there's only so much, you know, sadness around that you can have. Like I have to laugh at myself. Like I can't, I just shit with someone for 20 minutes. You know, we watched it leave my body together. Oh, look, oh good, you're releasing. Oh yay, I'm pooping, yay. You know, and I, I mean, I just have to laugh at myself. You know, I get covered in full body hives. Great, you know. Am I going to be able to wear makeup today? Who knows? Will it be highs or not? It's guessing game. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It just, it comes naturally to me. I have to stay lighthearted around all of this. It is really, you know, serious, dark stuff um, that we deal with. And it's, and it's super hard. And I definitely have really, really hard days um, where I'm on the ground crying. And then there are other days where I am in a bikini like, you know, feeling like shit, but still trying to love my life. Well, Chris, I, I think the most important part of your videos and, and my favorite, my personal favorite of your videos is the video, I think it's titled, Why Are You Always Positive? Mm. And the reason I, I, I find that to be the best of your videos is because what you do is you show that during the course of this journey, you're going to take your punches. You're going yeah. to have your challenges. There are going to be some demeaning events like having a tube up your butt and doing a colonic. But <laughs> It's really important to make sure that you stay positive, that you allow your mindset to be positive because that's 
probably the most important part of the healing journey. And we've yeah. seen so many people not, you know, get stuck in their, in their, um, with their illness and mm-hmm. not take the steps they need to take because of their mindset. So yeah. you're always identifying through your art, the challenges, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you're also teaching the importance of controlling your mind and having a positive mindset so that you can heal. And I, I want to compliment you for that because I think you're doing that better than anyone else. And we've really struggled with trying to help people but mm-hmm. identify that and you, you're doing that brilliantly. So I, I do want to thank you for that because I think it's really well done. Thank you. I mean, I think it's just, you know, you got to be grateful for what you do have constantly. And it's really hard for a lot of us to have that mindset when our lives suck sometimes, right? It's hard. We have been really, really sick. Like we go through really hard things that you will never understand until you get it. Like you don't get it till you get it. Um, And I still, you know, I constantly battle that with whether it's trolls or people, friends or family telling me, you know, what they want me to post. Um, And I just, you know, this is what helps me and makes me laugh at myself and makes me feel good to know I'm helping someone else feel good. But overall, I'm just, I'm still grateful for my life. And, you know, especially now for my healing journey, so grateful to finally have answers, things, you know, the dots are all connecting. Um, I'm not 100% healed, but like, but it's okay. And I do have faith that like, I'm going to get there. Um, and, and honestly, like, if I don't 100% get there, you know, I'm still, I'm still me. I'm still, I'm still me. I love myself. I think some other people love me too. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think staying positive is something that's really, really, really helped me, especially during really, really dark days, like during those fevers, those were scary. Um, laughing and, you know, singing Shakira and dancing helped. It really helped me. Mm -hmm. And of course we know that in addition to giving you the confidence you need to take the steps that you've taken, and you've taken a lot of steps in a short window of time. And I think you have compressed your healing journey as a consequence of having that. What also happens is your immune system, of course, is working at a higher rate and you are healthier because you have this happy uh, mindset. And it sounds to me that the tool you use most to deal with the, um, the, the challenges with, uh, with this journey is gratitude, right? You, 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 are, you are destroying the pain through being, be, being um, grateful for what you have. Yeah, every day. Like even before I, you know, I knew I had Lyme, um, when I dealt with that, you know, those 14 months of almost straight chronic nausea, if I would wake up and I didn't have that, I had a day of not having that. Woo! Those windows were down in the car. I'm blasting music. I am loving life. I am living and I'm shouting it, you know, praising it to the rooftops. Like I'm so, so stoked to be feeling so good. And I still feel that way every day when I wake up. So the last video I want to co- I want you to comment on before I get to my final question is, and it's my second favorite video, um, <laughs> is uh, a lot of the people that we've interviewed with, uh, we've done interviews with, have had challenges in their personal relationships. Uh, their intimate relationships have come apart uh, because uh, people were not willing to support them through this journey. Mm. Uh, and you do this, you did this hilarious video where you're where you're dancing around a trash can and talking <laughs> about and, and 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 portraying um you know the dating trash. Who, yeah, dating trash. So 
Talk about what inspired you to do that and how that's helped you deal with, uh, you know, the challenges in your relationships that have been a part of your Lyme journey. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I'm single. I like to say, like, I'm chronically single. Um, <laughs> I don't have that much luck in the dating uh, department. Um, I like to say, I mean, I am dating now. Um, and I am a pretty open book about Lyme. A lot of people will be like, don't tell him. Don't, don't, don't bring it up. You know? And I'm like, well, this is me. This is, this is my story. And like, if he goes on my Instagram, he's going to get a shocking picture of it, which some guys have. I think they've been like, what's your Instagram? I'm like, well, here it is. And they're probably like, oh, she's talking about poop all the time. <laughs> and then they ghost me. And I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, I think it's, I'm 30 now. Like it's been very difficult. Um, watching a lot of my friends grow up, get married, have kids. Like I definitely want to get married and I want to have kids. And, you know, I, and I want that. And my parents want that for me, like more than anyone else. And they are always like, why aren't you dating anybody? And I'm like, well, I'm shitting worms. So <laughs> maybe that's it. But I do feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm <laughs> stuck at um, being 19. You know, sometimes I do feel like, um, and I should probably like work through this with a therapist, um, but like my body is stuck at when the last time I was really healthy, like I do have that trauma in me. Um, so honestly, like dating over the last 11 years has been really, really difficult and hard. But as of now, especially this past year, even though I have been going on dates and, you know, trying to do some FaceTime dates and whatever else. Um, I'm always hopeful. I'm hopeful romantic. Um, like my health comes first and I do feel like, okay, maybe, you know, when I'm shitting out worms, maybe I shouldn't be <laughs> dating someone. Maybe that's, maybe, yeah, maybe that's the reason why I'm single right now. Um, but I'm super hopeful and I think I'm just, you know, one day at a time, one thing at a time, especially with the Lyme journey, like peel back that one layer of that onion at a time. And if I'm single right now, that's fine. Um, I do feel like maybe it's just, you got to focus on your health. got to focus on my health right now. Um, but yeah, the trash can video is mainly talking about, you know, the asshole LA actors or so that I've dated people out here not great <laughs> well you're learning more and more about how to do a parasite so perhaps that will help you uh, avoid the uh... men are parasites <laughs> <laughs> well not all of us yeah, not you guys not you guys <laughs> so now now <laughs> now before uh before we talk about all the laughing any more about <laughs> Uh, about male parasites. Let me ask you one more question. Uh, if, God forbid, uh, your mom called you up and she told you that she uh, found a tick biting her on her leg, what would you recommend that she do so she wouldn't have to go on a terrible journey the way you have? Yeah, I mean, I think here, this would be my advice. I don't know that this is like the best advice. I don't quite, there are definitely different ways you can like remove the tick. There are smarter ways and other ways that you shouldn't. Um, like the way I did was not smart as a child. I got half of it out, you know, left the other half for a bit, I think. Um, but I would tell her, I don't, there are certain like tools you can order, like tick removers. I don't, I don't have that. You know, you can take tweezers and like pull out 
a specific way, the angle. So it all comes out and doesn't, you know, break off, but you know, get it out, definitely save it. Um, I would get an appointment with your doctor ASAP, you know, right away. And here's the thing, like I've known so many people, especially on the East coast that get acute Lyme and they take antibiotics and they're fine. So I would just be like, I want those antibiotics right now, even though antibiotics can really, you know, hurt your gut. You know, I've been on antibiotics a lot in my life. I was told I had constant like kidney disease and whatever, um, infection. So I'd be on antibiotics, uh, growing up a lot, which was, you know, probably all Lyme, but, um, I think that would be my advice. It might not be <laughs> the smartest advice, but I'd be like, Hey, take it to the doctor. See if you can get on those antibiotics. I mean, try to get tested. And I really like Igenix for the blood work because the standard Alyssa test, as most people will probably know, is only 40% accurate. It comes back 60% of the time with false negatives. So many people actually have Lyme, even though it comes back negative. Um, and then I would tell my mom, it's okay. Whatever the end result is, you know, you're going to be fine and you'll fight it. But if you can catch it at the acute stage and nip it in the butt, that's what I would say to do. So you don't have to go through all the other stuff that I've been through. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with the brilliant Kristen Anos. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about this brilliant comedic actress, Kristen Anos, and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at Kristen Anos underscore. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or our website. As always, we thank you for listening.